Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, our minister to students, Tony Richmond. Well, good morning, church family. It's good to be standing before you uh, today. One of the things I love about FBC Keller, and it's as you know, it starts with our pastor, but we're a church who's committed to God's Word. And so when Brother Keith asked me to uh, share today a little bit about my thoughts on family ministry and those things, we always want to make sure that every ministry, everything that we do as a church is grounded firmly in God's Word. And so today we're going to look at the first step of family ministry, which is total devotion to Jesus. Total devotion to following Jesus. So if you have your Bible, open to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, that'll be our text this morning. And uh, let's read it together starting in verse 25. Luke 14, 25. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goes out to encounter another king in war? will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he'll send a delegation and ask for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now the title of The sermon today is the sneakiness of family idolatry. The sneakiness of family idolatry. Now we know as we have studied the scriptures and we know from the Bible, God has a lot to say about idolatry. Right? In fact, it's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. So God cares about that, right? He cares about the fact that we don't have any idols, any kind of idolatry that would hinder our devotion to Him. Many biblical scholars say that the reason God started with that as commandment number one is that really all sin is born out of idolatry. One pastor says it like this, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination 
more than God. And anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Those are idols. Anything that we think, this is more important to us than God. Anything that absorbs our mind and what we think about. Anything that we seek to give us what only God has the capacity to give us is an idol. Now for us, there are some idols that are very obvious. Right? We look back with God's people. Remember when Moses went up on the mountain to get the law from God and he came down from the mountain. What were the people doing? They had made a collection of earrings and necklaces and jewelry and boiled it down to make a cow that they would worship. So for us, we look at those things and we say, that's pretty obvious. In a couple weeks, I'll be in Bangalore, India. And in Bangalore, nearly on every street corner, there's a little shrine with a little concrete statue in it surrounded by flowers where people will go and worship these false gods. So for us, those things seem obvious. Maybe for others of us, we think about Jesus and the warning He gave where He said, you cannot serve God and money. So we think we need to be very careful about how we view money, how we use money, so that that doesn't become an idol. But there are other things that are a little more hidden. They're a little more sneaky. Things like family. Things like, some people would say, how can your family really be an idol? After all, God is the one that says, honor your father and your mother. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. Wives, submit to your husband. So in doing those things, we're following God and we're living out His will for us and those things are definitely true. However, the Bible is clear and we'll see from our patches today, Jesus is very clear on this. Anything that distracts your devotion to following Jesus wholeheartedly is unacceptable to Jesus, including your love for your family. Uh, one of the things I really enjoy more than lots of other things is duck hunting. I heard this story recently about this guy and he bought him a brand new duck hunting truck. It was lifted up, big tires, off-road kind of a thing. And so the opening morning of duck season, him and his best friend, they load into the new truck, the decoys, the guns, the dog and everything. And they cut out to the lake. Now this happened up in Michigan and up there during duck season, of course, the lakes are iced over and that kind of thing. So they take this truck and for those of you who know about that area, you know, those lakes and things, they can be two to three feet of frozen ice underneath. So they take this truck and they pull it out on the ice where they're unloading all of their their gear there and they get everything unloaded and they know like any good duck hunter knows there's got to be a spot for the ducks to land if there's no open water 
for them to land. You may as well forget it. They're not coming in here and you won't be very successful duck hunting. So, um, genius number one pulls out a stick of dynamite. And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk back. We're going to pull the truck over away from the spot. We're going to walk back. There's a 40-second fuse on this dynamite. So he was smart enough to know, let's not light it and set it down because we could slip and fall or something. So he said, we'll stand back. We'll light the dynamite. We'll throw it out on the lake. And it'll open up plenty of water for us. So sure enough, that's what they do. He pulls it out, he lights it, he throws it. Well, remember what I told you they loaded into that truck? The decoys, the guns, and the dog, right? So this black lab who's trained, when the guy throws the dynamite, he makes a beeline. 40-second fuse, so the dog picks up the dynamite, and is running around. And the owners, he's playing fetch, right? So he's coming back toward the owners with this dynamite. So the, the owner and the other guy, they're screaming, they're telling, driving. The dog's kind of getting a little confused, but he's still coming back. Well, they didn't know what else to do, so they take their gun, and they're going to fire a shot up in the air. I mean, they're, they're panicking at this point. So they fire a shot up in the air, and that just totally confuses the dog. So then the dog makes a beeline to the truck, lays the dynamite under the truck, boom. Brand new truck, worthless, right? Now, the interesting part of that story is that the insurance company said, that's not covered under your policy. <laughs> a dog boy. But here's the real point of the story. A lot of people live foolishly without giving much thought about how our actions now affect our future. What if the things that we think are the most important and the most precious now turn out to be that which is precious but not able to give us, not able to minister and actually what Jesus says disqualify us from being one of his disciples. Let's look in our passage, Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Look at what it says. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them. Now, obviously by this point, Jesus in his ministry had gained quite the following. Remember, he had been healing people he had been teaching, and those who heard his teaching said, this man is teaching as one with authority. And so because of that, there were people who were intrigued, who were curious, who they wanted to see what all this is about with Jesus. So at this point, he had gained quite the following. Now, of course, that's not something that Jesus intended to do. As we'll see in just a minute, Jesus didn't intend to bring in all of these people and gain this huge crowd. A lot of ministries, a lot of churches operate that way. Say, so what can we do to get the most people here? In fact, just this week I heard the story of a church 
they were doing a series or they wanted to do a series on the Beatitudes. So they, in their creativity, came up with this plan. We'll have this uh, sermon series called The Beatles and the Beatitudes. And we'll get this Beatle tribute band to play and that'll get all the people there. And then we'll be able to somehow tell the people about the Beatitudes and Jesus' teaching. Look, that's not the way Jesus worked. Jesus wasn't doing gimmicky type things to get this crowd in. In fact, he was very interested in being totally upfront with those who wanted to follow him. Jesus was not interested in fans who would sit on the sideline and cheer him on and say, good job, Jesus. He was interested in people who would join him in the battle. Jesus was not interested in people who were just curious. He was looking for people who would commit their lives to him. Jesus wasn't interested in spectators. Jesus was interested in recruits. Flip back one page to Luke chapter 13 and look in verse 22. Luke chapter 13, look in verse 22, it says this, He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able, and will not be able to. Listen, Jesus said this, the invitation to follow him is wide open. You don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to have a lot of education. You don't have to have a lot of charisma. You don't have to have a lot of power by the world's standards. The, in, the invitation is wide open. However, Jesus says in Luke 13, the gate, the entryway, is very narrow. So Jesus wasn't one of these guys who made the outside look real pretty and shiny and kind of pulled the punches on what it was really going to cost. Jesus was very upfront about what this would mean for those who would follow him. And what he says is this, the only thing that is acceptable for a follower of Jesus is, is absolute, total devotion and love to him. That's it. So this shocking statement, look back in chapter 14, verse 26. In verse 26, he says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, we have to be careful, right? We could take this passage out of context and distort its meaning to be something that Jesus never intended it to be. But what Jesus did intend it to be is this. This great crowd, as we've seen, is following Jesus. Most likely, 
many of them were following Jesus alongside their families. Husbands and dads had brought their wives and their children to hear Jesus teach and to experience what Jesus was doing. Likely, some of these fathers and mothers had brought kids that were sick. And they thought if we can just get close to Jesus and maybe there'll be a chance that he could heal our children. And Jesus turns and makes this statement. I can just imagine Jesus walking and all these people are walking behind him and he turns around and says, listen, if you continue to follow me, here's what's required. And you can almost imagine that some of those husbands, some of those moms and and dads are standing there with their jaw open and their eyes wide open like, what? Jesus, what are you saying? Really? And so now, like I said, we have to be careful. What Jesus is not talking about here is that we should love our families less. Jesus is not talking about this idea that we should hate our family. What he's saying is that the centrality and sheer magnitude of our love for Jesus makes everything else pale in comparison to that. Every other relationship, every other love in our life fails when it's put into contrast against our love and devotion for Him. That's really what this word Jesus uses, hate, is referring to in this passage. There are three primary ways that we see in Scripture where this word hate is used. One is probably the one that comes to our minds first. It's that malicious kind of hate. Jesus said it like this in Luke 6, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. That's the malicious hate. That's not what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Of course, he's not saying hate your family in that way. Another kind of hate that the Bible uses um, is this righteous indignation kind of a hate where uh, we all should share this as Christians like Paul did in Romans 7. He says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Jesus is not talking about that. The hate that Jesus is using in this passage, in this context, is a hate of compare and contrast. If you love this, it looks like hate in this way. And so he's comparing these two things. Jesus is telling us that our love for him must be so forceful and energizing that by comparison, our deep love for our spouse and our deep care for our children would actually look like total disregard or hate. That's it. Step number one, family ministry 
Love Jesus. Follow Jesus. Trust Jesus. Be devoted to Jesus. And the rest will take care of itself. We've all watched this week these interviews from folks down in Houston. They've lost their homes, their vehicles, entire communities, workplaces, all of that. And in some of those interviews, what we've heard is, look, we've lost a lot. But we have here what's most precious to us, our family, right? We could probably identify with that. If something were to happen to us like that, of course, we would be devastated. It would be horrible. But at the end of the day, for many of us, if we had our family, that's what matters most. And maybe that's why Jesus used this statement with his followers. Because he knows that if we have a family devotion that so consumes our emotions and effort and love so that what we have left is only a marginal nod toward Christ, then really we're calling into question if we can truly be a follower of Christ. What Jesus is saying, brothers and sisters, is this. You can love your family and not be a follower of Jesus. So he says, beware, beware. Because, listen, he's not saying here, if you fail in this way, you'll not be a very good disciple. What he's not saying is, you'll be less effective in your discipleship. Jesus' own words are this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate these things, he cannot be my disciple. The first sermon I ever preached when I was 16 in Madisonville, Kentucky, was from Genesis 22. One of the most harrowing stories, I think, in all the Bible. You'll probably remember it. It's when God calls Abraham to take his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him as a burnt offering to the Lord. Here's what it says in Genesis 22:2. Take him there as a, I'm sorry, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, and I will show you. Now, just a survey reading of that, you kind of miss what all's going on there. Because who was Isaac? to Abraham and Sarah. Remember, Abraham had been promised by God, through your family, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. And so Abraham and Sarah waited and waited and waited for God to give them this promised child. And finally, right when Sarah was 90, she gets pregnant with Isaac. And so they have this child. You can imagine, for those of you who've struggled with infertility, things and issues, you, can, you know the elation that they felt once this child was born. How they cared for this, this little baby Isaac. 
how they wanted to make sure he was well taken care of. And they watched him grow up and learn to walk and learn to, to do all of these developmental milestones. And then all of a sudden in Genesis 22, Abraham is told by God, take Isaac up to the mountain and sacrifice him on the altar. I mean, there's not a parent in this room that probably doesn't cringe when you hear that, right? But that's exactly what God asked Abraham to do. What if we were asked to prove that our love and our commitment to God is greater than that which is the most precious thing to us? In many ways, the more beautiful a thing is, the more capacity that has to become an idol. The more we feel, fear losing something, the more likely we are to worship it. Now, we know that Abraham passed that test. He went to the mount. He was faithful. He was obedient. It took all the way till he drew the knife back. And God said, stop. Here's a ram caught. Instead, put the ram there. But I wonder, God, God has never and will never, of course, require us to give a human sacrifice as an act of worship. But how would we fare? What's the most precious thing in your life? Maybe for a lot of us, it's our family. I wonder about the depth of our worship and commitment to Jesus. If we had to choose between the gift and the giver, who would win out? I remember the first flight Kristen and I took after the birth of our first child, Caleb. And for those of us who maybe fly fairly regularly, typically, you get on the plane, they're going through all their spill about, here's how you buckle a seatbelt, insulting our intelligence in that way. So most of us kind of just check out when they're going through all that, right? But I remember clearly the first time I was there, we had our, our new son with us, and the flight attendant said, in the event of an emergency, and there's a decrease in pressure in the cabin, an oxygen mask will fall from the overhead compartment. Here's what they say. If you're traveling with the child, secure your mask on first, then help your child. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know why they say that, right? They understand if you're suffocating, you're not going to be very helpful to your child, right? Brothers and sisters, the word for, for us this morning is this. If we're not breathing in the life of Christ, if we're not totally devoted to Jesus and following Him, we're not very helpful to our family. We can forget family ministry if we don't get this right first. And so that's it. What do we love? Should we love our families less? Absolutely not. Should we love our families differently? Absolutely yes. 
May we take the family relationships out of the central point of our lives and may we put Jesus in that place. This is the most loving thing we can do for those relationships. It's the ultimate act of love or family love or family ministry to set our hearts fully on Christ. Why? Because when Jesus is truly Lord, when He's truly Lord in our lives, that's when we're the best husbands. That's when we're the best wives. That's when we're the best moms, dads, grandparents, and even singles. That's when we're at our best. Now, what God asked of Abraham, He did not ultimately require of Abraham, but He was willing to do Himself. Look, here's the Gospel. The perfectly righteous and holy God of the universe had a choice. On one side was His beloved Son, sinless and perfect. On the other side, entangled in a sin mess, totally depraved by sin, unworthy of His blessing, were sinners like you and me. The only way that those sinners could be reconciled to God was through a sacrifice. The only way that our sins could be atoned for was by the sacrifice of Jesus. So John 3.16 says, God loved the world like this that He gave His only Son. I wonder, do you know Him like that? Have you trusted in Jesus alone for your salvation? Have you ever thought, man, I... I'm a pretty good person. I'm making good decisions. I'm doing all of these right things. Maybe you've trusted in those things. If that's the case, the word for you this morning is let those things go. Those things are not capable of saving you. The only thing that was capable of saving you was a person. It was Jesus Christ. And God the Father laid down His own Son on the cross to atone for your sins. So if you've never done that, may today be the day that you repent of your sins and trust Christ alone for your salvation. For the rest of us, may we consider what's the most precious thing in our lives? What's the most important thing May we commit today to putting Jesus in His rightful place in our lives, bowing our knee to His Lordship as we trust Him and follow Him. Let's pray. Lord God, we're thankful for Your Word. And Lord, it's a difficult word this morning because Jesus speaks directly to that which is the most precious thing for many of us, our families. And God, we want to be faithful in our families. We want to be godly husbands and wives, moms and dads, grandparents, singles who are searching for a 
help me. God, we want to be faithful in all of those things. And yet, Lord, we see from your word that unless we're devoted, unless we trust Christ alone, unless we sell out for his glory and for his fame, we are not capable of being faithful in our homes. And so, Father, thank you, Lord. Lord, your word is indeed alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And we surrender to it. Lord, I commit to it. I humble myself underneath the teaching of your word and say, God, help me to love you more. Help me to be more devoted to following Christ than anything else in my life. And Lord, I would pray for anybody here that has never trusted you or, or maybe they've lived a religious kind of life. Maybe they've been here at church a lot or they've done some good things, but they've never actually laid everything else aside and trusted wholly in Christ for their salvation. Lord, may today your spirit activate the truth of your word and the truth of the gospel in their hearts that they may repent of their sins and turn to you in salvation and a life surrendered to you. Lord, that's our prayer this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.